Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. The title of my talk is Evangelism is a Dirty Word. Um, and you know, we, we have this tension. I have this tension. I've talked about this in previous weeks as well. There's a study by Barna that said 94% of millennial Christians say that the best thing that could happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. Um, so pretty much every millennial Christian, and I would, I would probably argue to say pretty much every Christian, 95% of it say that actually, you know, my relationship with Jesus is really important and I would love for others to experience what I have. But then 46% of millennial Christians, so about half, say that it's actually morally wrong to share our faith. Um, and I think that is a really interesting tension that we, that we face as, as people, as human beings. I think it's a really interesting tension um, to hold. Um, the, there are five great commissions in the Bible. Um, just to flood you with, with kind, of, kind of Jesus' words. Um, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Jesus says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark 16, 15 to 18, to so the end of um, the gospel of Mark. And he said to them, his disciples, go into all the world and pro- proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke 24, so the end of uh, the gospel of Luke. Then he opened up their minds to understand, understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and the repentance of forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. It's talking about the Holy Spirit there. John 20. This is the fourth one. uh, The end of the gospel of John. Jesus gives these words to his disciples. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this to the to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And then Acts chapter one, which is like part two of the gospel of Luke, uh, verse eight says, uh, this is Jesus speaking again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so there is a tension there, I think, that is very clear that if if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we want to take the words and the ways and the works of Jesus seriously, then there is a, a impetus for us. There is a um, something that is defined from Jesus that we are to go. We are to, to spread something of the story of Jesus. We are to spread the good news. Um, but the tension comes where, you know, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to wholeheartedly follow his words. I want my friends and family, my neighbors to know and experience the love and the joy and peace of Jesus. And I don't want to be salesman-y. I don't want to be door knocker-y. I don't want to preach on the, on, on the street corner 
you know, type of person um, because of my experience of that. Um, and there is a real tension there. I, I was, um, Mel and I, we used to live in Aaron Heights. We lived uh, on top of pretty much a little coffee shop called Glee. And I'd often work from there. And um, one day I was, I was preparing a talk, preparing a message. I had my laptop and, and my Bible um, in the cafe. And this guy came in. And he sat next to me and he started to ask me about, about the Bible. Um, and I quickly worked out he was a Jehovah's Witness. And um, he was just sort of getting his coffee ready to go out and do some door knocking. Um, and then another one of his friends came in and he sat down next to me. And then another one came and he sat down next to me. And then another one came and she sat down next to me. So there was like 15 Jehovah's Witnesses around me um, in the cafe. And it was just really awkward because like I was, I was trying to, I was trying to concentrate. I was trying to work. I'm like, yes, like, I, yes, we can have a conversation, but I don't want to be like one, one on 15. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> um, when we moved into the, the clam, we started reno, renoing the clam, um, our new building. Uh, there's a neighbor there who lives in the manse, a lovely little family. And I was talking to the, to the neighbor. Um, and I said, you know, how, how do you feel about living next to a church? He's like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm really into it. Love what you guys do. Love, love the old church that was there. I just want to ask one thing of you. Can you make sure that no one comes to my, to my door and knocks on my door and tries to convert me? Um, he's like, that's my, that's my one request. As you see, and he, he pointed to the front of his house, he's got a sign up on his front door that says, we are a pagan household. <laughs> <laughs> do not door knock. Um, and, and I think it goes to show that people really don't like door knockers. I came home one night after, I think I was in Sydney, you know, doing some stuff for um, a podcast or something. I was, it was late. It was kind of 6.30, 7 o'clock coming home um, and getting home. And then there was a, a knock on the door and I go to the door and uh, there's a guy there. He says, hey, is it, are you Benj? I said, yeah. Um, and he said, well, I spoke to Mel earlier today um, about saving the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and what she said to me is that um, you'd really like to have a chat with me. And so, but you don't come home from work until seven o'clock or something. So I'm back and I'm here to talk to you. I said, oh, thanks, babe. I really wanted to talk about the Great Barrier Reef tonight, um, which I love the Great Barrier Reef. And, and it was just, it was there's something like really interesting and awkward about those conversations, right? Because, um, I, you know, I was trying to explain to him, you know, we, we do have like a portion of our, our, our budget that we want to give away, but it's allocated. We, you know, we align with certain causes and he's like, what do you align with? Like, what are those things that, how much do you give? I was like, Hey, let's just like chill out. And it was very forceful. And I just had to tell him to go away. Um, and it is just this awkward, like thing when, when people come and, and assault you with their beliefs. Um, but I think uh, for many of us, evangelism has become a, a dirty word because it conjures up the thoughts of door knockers or fire and brimstone street preachers or manipulative TV evangelists who, um, you know, have private jets. Um, and I think the other thing that complicates it is it's, it's linked to the evangelical church, which has also become a kind of a dirty word in the last couple of years. Um, we kind of come out of the evangelical movement. I probably wouldn't use that term for myself, um, but there's a lot of good that the evangelical church has, has, has brought. Um, 
it's tied to the kind of the great awakenings, both in Britain and the US, uh, which is kind of some of the greatest kind of moves of God that um, we've seen in history. There's a real focus on personal faith. Like you don't have to go through an institution or a religious structure. Like you can have a personal relationship with, with Jesus. There's a love of scripture. There's a love of sharing the good news with the other. Um, but because of the evangelicals rise with, um, you know, the, the kind of the empire and structures of Britain, Britain, the UK and, and, uh, and America, it has kind of been twinged and intertwined with kind of colonialism that we would like come in and we're going to bring the gospel. Um, and, and more recently because of the rise of Trump and kind of far right conservative politics, um, the evangelical church has, has more often than not been intertwined with politics, which is never a good thing. Um, but because of this focus on evangelism that the evangelical church brought, and it was focused on sharing your personal faith with someone else, uh, what it's really done is reduce the gospel down to a shareable, bite-sized thing, which is not always a bad thing, but it has really reduced what the good news of Jesus is um, about a ticket to get to heaven. Where are you going when you die? Um, that you're a sinner, you need to be saved, and then you can go to heaven. Um, and that's not, not necessarily wrong, but it's only part of the gospel. It's only a very small portion of the gospel. Um, Ortberg says that, that the gospel, the good news, is not about getting you into heaven, but it's about getting heaven into you. Um, and I think ev evangelism is often seen as bad for that half of Christians that say that, you know, it's morally wrong to share my faith um, because we don't want to share, we don't want to push our beliefs on someone else. I think it's a really interesting thought because I don't know if you've ever met someone that's into the Enneagram or essential oils or the Olympics or Ted Lasso or anything that people find as good news that they want to share with others. Like our, our, our culture is full of evangelists for a, for a bunch of different things. Um, for the vaccines or no vaccines for lockdowns or no lockdowns. There are evangelists, you know, all over the place. Um, but I think where it becomes um, complicated and salesman-ish is when the person sharing that good news has a vested interest in your outcome. And so, I don't know, I've got a friend who's into Plexus, which is like this um, pyramid scheme of like these drinks that you drink and make you, meant to make you feel better. Um, and that's fine until you know that that person is part of a multi-level marketing scheme where they are getting kickbacks for putting you on a product. And I think for a lot of people, and I think even for Christians, the way of Jesus has turned into some sort of cosmic pyramid scheme, multi-level marketing, where there is a bit of a guilt trip about how many people am I bringing into the kingdom of God? And, you know, at, at the end days, when, when I'm in heaven, I'll get a list of all the people that like my actions have like directed them coming to know, have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And I'll be like further up in the pyramid, in the multi-level marketing scheme. But the way of Jesus is not a pyramid scheme. It is not multi-level marketing. Um, and I think that's, that's why door knockers and salesmen come across so um, harsh is because not because what they're selling is bad, not because the Great Barrier Reef is bad or because Plexus is bad, whatever the heck that is, but because it's manipulative. 
and because there's a vested interest in it. And I think that's the way that Christians and non-Christians have started to perceive evangelism and sharing our faith, that there is like some sort of vested interest mm. in, in what I am doing, um, which I think is where the manipulation has come in. But I'm convinced, I'm more convinced than ever, um, you know, since COVID, that the secular story of salvation is breaking down. Um, that the secular story of like, if I could just get enough stuff, Mark Sayers says that the secular version of salvation is safety. If I could accumulate enough stuff to feel safe, you know, the right career, um, the right family, two kids and, and a dog, and I could own my own house with, a, you know, a backyard, then I will be all sweet. And that's fine until, you know, bad news comes. Well, that's fine until you know that um that diagnosis comes that's fine until a global pandemic comes and you can't work anymore or whatever it is and i think the secular sto story is breaking down that one of safety the other idea that's key to the secular story is progress that this whole thing is going somewhere that if we could just get enough racial equality if we could just get enough gender equality if we could just get you know, um, another really great cafe, if we could just get um, a, a great Japanese restaurant, if we could just eliminate climate change, if we could eliminate crime, like if we could just hit these benchmarks, then there will be some sort of utopia. Um, and those things are all great things. But where does it end? Like, where does it go? Rachel Held Evans has this great quote. She says that we're all searching for stories that have an ending. We're all searching for stories that have an ending. And the thing, in, the thing is with, uh, you know, our modern society, our, our secular society, is that our story doesn't actually have an ending. The secular story is this whole thing started by accident, probably, and it will probably end by accident. And when you have no end to a story, you lose hope. And I think there is a, a collective loss of hope in our world right now. And you can, you can just see that by the, you know, we are the most anxious and depressed generation that has ever lived. Um, the secular story is breaking down. Um, but the truth is you can be successful and a bit lost. That you can have the house and be a bit lost. You can be famous and have tons of followers on TikTok and be a bit lost. You can have the spouse and the dog and the two kids and feel a bit lost. And I think there will be times in every person's lives, including followers of Jesus, but where the secular story, the things that we are trusting in that are not Jesus, that are not kingdom, actually don't work anymore. Alpha did a study that said, an Australian study, it says 49% of Australians actually want to talk about spiritual things. So they indicated, yes, I would love to talk about spiritual things, but I don't have a space to do so. People actually want to ask the bigger questions and wrestle with things and talk about, you know, the, just the big questions of life, purpose and love and where this thing started and where it's going. Um, but we just don't have places in our culture to talk about them. Um, that same study said that 70% of Australians pray. 70% of Australians say that they actually pray. 
Um, and that you can see that in sort of Google releases their, their search data. And since the pandemic, like um, searches on prayer have just gone through the roof um, since COVID-19. And it's just interesting that 70%, so like seven of the 10 neighbors that live around you right now confess that they, they do pray. Um, and I just think that it's so interesting because people are searching and looking. People want to talk about the big questions in life, but there's this kind of taboo that we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about what we earn, and we don't talk about faith. And those two things are, are, are crumbling down, that people more and more talk about politics, like it's becoming the kind of the new religion. Um, people more and more actually talk about what they earn, but we still haven't talked about, we don't talk about faith very much. Um, I just think that is extremely interesting that our culture, an Australian study, says that. Um, and just to finish, um, I just want to break down this, this idea of salvation. I think, I think, you know, in the Christian world, we can have some really interesting buzzwords like saved, um, where when you actually think about that, what does that actually mean? Like, what, what is saved? What am I saved from? And uh, what does that actually mean? Um, a really helpful way of viewing salvation for me is if you look at the New Testament, the word that's always used for saved or salvation is a word sozo, a Greek word. Um, and that is the same word that's always used for someone getting healed. So when Jesus goes and heals a leper, he sozoed them, he saved them, he salvationed them. And healing and salvation are actually the same thing in the Bible. And I think healing is actually a really good way to think about salvation that Jesus has come to bring healing to me, to save me, to bring, to bring healing to my soul, but not just to me as an individual, but to our world, that he is coming to bring a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. He is healing the world. And that is kind of the mission of, of Jesus. Salvation is healing. Salvation is not my ticket to the good place. Salvation is my healing. Salvation is the story of Jesus bringing healing to me and the world around me. Um, and we do not save people. We do not heal people. We are not responsible for other people's actions. Jesus saves. Yet we are responsible to be witnesses. John Tyson says this. He says, in evangelism, I'm just finishing up this now. In evangelism, we've often played the role of the prosecutor, like in a court case, but really we're just called to play the role of the witness. And often the church has tried to play the role of the prosecutor, that you are a, a sinner, you're going to hell and you need someone to save you to go to the good place. Actually, that's not our role in the story. Jesus' role is to come and to save and to heal and to bring restoration our role is to be witnesses of what Jesus is doing, what the kingdom, what the, what the kingdom coming in my own life, my own journey of healing, of love and joy and peace, and wanting and desiring that for my neighbor. But it's not our job to save. We are not experts offering something. We are not salespeople. We are not in a cosmic pyramid scheme. We are fellow human beings that have found a story that works. We are fellow human beings that are uh, being invited into a story, into a process of salvation, into a process of healing, 
into a process of integration, into a process of Jesus coming and renewing all things through the reconciling force of the cross, bringing heaven and earth together, being the, being the cosmic linchpin between the, the, the two realms of heaven and earth and the resurrection, bringing, ushering in a new way of life, a new way of embodied, enfleshed, new love, joy, peace of the world, community and hope and peace and joy. That is the story that we belong to. And I think when we reframe salvation as healing, it is such a helpful way for us to, um, to be participants in the story, not to be the savior, not to be the hero of the story, but to be witnesses to the story unfolding. Cool. Mm. Let me pray for us. Very good. And then, uh, and then we'll head into breakout rooms. Holy spirit. We just ask that you would come. Spirit, I just want to invite you into the the tension that I find so often in my own life around wanting to wholeheartedly follow your your ways and your words, but also not wanting to be uh, pushy or salesman-y. God, help me to not play the role of the prosecutor, but of the witness. God, help me to be a faithful witness where I am, in my house and in my family, in my street here, in our neighborhood. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you would empower each of us to do the same. Right now, I'm reminded that all those commissions that we read out from your words earlier, Jesus, to go and make disciples, all had reference to your spirit that we are to await for your spirit. And so we want to wait right now. Spirit, would you come? Would you bring healing in our own worlds, in our inner worlds, in our outer world? God, would you help us walk out the way of salvation in in a true way, in a real way, not just a 10.30 on Sunday way, not just a dinner party way, but all of life. God, would you give us forgiveness for the, for the parts of us, of us that, are, that are not integrated with ourselves, that are not healed, that are, that are broken. God, may we offer those to you at the feet of your cross. And God, we pray for the seven out of 10 neighbors around us that are praying, that are trying to reach out to something, even though they never talk about it. God, we pray for the one in every two people that we see or meet in Australia that want to talk about bigger things, spiritual things. They want to have conversations that are, that are searching and interested and curious. God, help us to be good neighbors to them not for our gain, but for theirs, not with a desired outcome, not because of some sort of strange guilt that we carry, but because we are real embedded human beings in our world. 
Jesus, thank you for your story of salvation and healing. God, thank you for healing me. Thank you for continuing to heal me. God, thank you for healing our world and, to, and continuing to heal our world. May we go with your presence. In your name, amen. Amen.